In this lesson, we will have a look at express trusts and the constitution of it. Now the concept of constitution basically means where there is a vesting of your own rights in a third party, in this case, the trustee. So what are the requirements of constitution? The very first question you must ask yourself is, is the trustee and settler the same person? If the settler is the same person as the trustee, then there is no issue with constitution whatsoever. However, if the trustee is a third party and the settler is bestowing these rights or vesting these rights in a third party, then constitution, whether it's been done properly, depends on the nature of the rights themselves. So for instance, if we take a title of land, in the UK you have land which exists as either unregistered or registered. In the case of unregistered land, in order for a proper constitution to have taken place, the execution of a deed is required. Whereas in the case of registered land, the trustee should be registered as the proprietor of the title. So what exactly is the effect of a perfect constitution? If a trust instrument has been perfectly constituted, the settler cannot revoke it. But if the constitution itself is defective, what court goes by is the dicta in Milroy and Lord, where their lordships had noted that equity will not assist a volunteer to perfect an imperfect trust. What this means is, if the settler intended to vest rights in the trustee but fails to do so, the court will not hold that the rights vest in the settler as the trustee. It will not create that nexus. There are several exceptions, however, that we must discuss, much like in any other thing within law and specifically in trust law. Firstly, whether there has been a detrimental reliance. If the donee had incurred some sort of detriment, the court may consider the existence of a trust. The seminal case in this regard is Dilwyn and Llewellyn, a case which is available in your case summaries and I urge you to have a look at to understand how detrimental reliance works. The bottom line, however, is that the donee will get the property or the gift. The second is the rule in Ray Rose. If the settler has done everything in his power to constitute a trust, but the third party does not complete it, court may hold constitution. So the basic necessity here is that the settler has gone above and beyond and done pretty much everything that he can in his own power to constitute the trust. But, due to some sort of mishap or lack from a third party which he has no control over, it has not been properly constituted. For example, it has not been registered, let's say. So in that context, a court will look at, based on the dicta in Ray Rose, to see whether there can be constitution found. However, you must understand that there is an equitable maxim where it's noted that equity looks at that as done what ought to be done. However, the perplexing aspect of this is that there is no ought to be making of gifts. Plus, there has been no detrimental reliance. So that's a bit of food for thought. When you are answering questions, when you are attempting problem or even theory questions in trust law, specifically on constitution and in the context of Ray Rose, you need to understand these various dynamics before you attempt it. The third rule is that of Strong and Bird where the trustee is owed money. Now, in order to discuss this properly, we need to look at it from both the common law aspect as well as that of equity. So, if 
for instance, the trustee who has now been positioned in that role owes money to the settler, then the trustee becomes testatrix or executor of the settler's estate. The trustee then, therefore, becomes relieved of his debt. The reason why is he cannot sue himself. In this context, once the legal right has been bestowed upon a third party who in turn owes something to the settler, the, the debt itself becomes relieved. However, while that may be the case in common law, in relation to equity, it's not allowed. Except for in the first instance, there was an intention to relieve the debt. Or secondly, the intention continued till the settler's death. The fourth rule is that of re rali. So this, in turn, is the converse of what we just discussed in relation to Strong and Bird, where the settler owed money before his death to the trustee. When legal title is vested on the trustee after the settler's death, the trustee can consider perfect constitution and therefore claim his due. The fifth and sixth are quite interesting aspects of constitution. Fifth being donatio mortis causa. And quite simply, this is a deathbed wish of the settler. In the event of this conditional gift, for example, my watch to you if I die, as in Cain and Moon, this applies. Sixth is unconscionability. And much like many other aspects of equity, unconscionability plays a key role. This righteous effort plays a key role in court's decisions. When it is unconscionable to resile from refusing as the donee was told gift was perfect. Have a look at Pennington and Wayne, a seminal case in this area. That was a quick outline on express trust, specifically focusing on the aspect of constitution. Now that we have completed both declaration and constitution, we will move on in the next lesson to discuss proving a declaration of trust.